1: After the sermon today, we're going to have communion. So you may want to be thinking about that, preparing your heart for communion. But take your Bible. We want to conclude the messages I've been sharing for the last several weeks about the agape of God, the love of God. And uh, we're, going to be, we're going to start in John 13. I know that you know this scripture, but uh, then we're going to go to Romans chapter 12 in a little bit. So you may want to get that ready. But, I'm sorry, John 13, verse 34. Let me me preface this by saying that Jesus had already given the greatest commandment. Someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest is, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so at the Last Supper, at at the end of his life on earth, before Calvary... He gives these instructions to the church. I think it's noteworthy that he felt that he had to do that. He already said, love, you know, love God and love people around you. But now he felt it was important to say, now you got that, but now love one another. As though in anticipation that that would be challenged. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that that is exactly the case. It's easy sometimes to love people in other parts of the world and send our missionaries over there. It's easy to love people that are not saved because we want to love them in. But when we're rubbing shoulders with people that are saved and redeemed, but working it out with fear and trembling, sometimes it gets to be a challenge. So with that, Jesus said in John thirteen, thirty-four, a new commandment. So we got the greatest commandment. We have the second greatest commandment. Now we have a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Oh God, Lord, anoint my lips, my mind and my heart that I may share this word the way you want it to be shared. Let it fall upon ears that want to hear and will apply it to all of our lives. We pray, Lord, that in the process, you will be glorified and honored and you'll feel the love that we have towards you as we proclaim your word. At the same time, Lord, may your church fall under conviction of the Holy Spirit to put some things in place, if necessary, to make our lives more like your life. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the agape of God. I've titled this message Agape in Conflict. But the agape of God, if you haven't heard, the unconditional, immeasurable, faithful love of God for all of humanity, and including his church. And he now has commanded his church to love one another the same way that he loved us. In fact, in other scriptures it says that How we love one another, how we forgive and how we have grace with one another is how he will deal with us. I remember my old pastor many years ago. He said, he told me, he said, my my gift is grace. I'm a grace person. I said, oh, that's good. And he said, yeah, I I need all the grace I can get from God. So I become a grace giver because I know what I give I will get from the Lord as well. So, but he now he commands the church to to share this agape among ourselves. We already looked at a couple of scriptures. We won't go there now, but in 1 Corinthians 13, this is relevant to the Pentecostal church especially, where, he, where Paul says, you could, you could be used in the gifts. You could speak in tongues. You could um, have faith. You could move mountains. You could have knowledge and wisdom. But if you don't have love, you're just a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. He said you could even suffer for the cause of Christ, and it means nothing. You could give to the poor and do all the things that Christians do, but if you don't have love underneath it all, it profits you nothing. So now, now with that thought, let's go to Romans chapter 12, because, I, see, 13 is, is the ideal. You know, love one another. Paul begins to, in my view, Paul begins to fill in the blanks. You know, he's got the ideal. But Paul's dealing with the nitty-gritty of seeing it played out in real life. So Romans chapter 12, if you were on our Wednesday nights, the last several weeks, there are tremendous nuggets of truth in in Romans chapter 12. But in verse number 17 through 21, it gets a little bit specific regarding this topic. And Paul is addressing the church. So this is like... This is like the the backstory of, of John thirteen, if you know what I mean, this is like the underneath of what why Jesus said that. this is why he said that, so verse seventeen, repay no one evil for evil in the church, oh oh, uh, have regard for good things in the sight of men, you know so don't don't go you know if things happen, let the agape come up well, well why would bad things happen in a church? Does anyone realize we 're all in the process of getting saved? When Paul said, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling," you know why he said that? Because none of us have arrived yet. We're all working on it. Hopefully, we're all letting God work on it. And in the process, it could get a little ugly sometimes. But but any, in any case, uh, don't don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay sin with sin. Uh, stay positive. It says, in verse number seventeen. Is that a great verse? That, that compliments what Jesus said. Love what? What would I do? How, how do I love somebody when they've been bad to me? Well, you've got to take care of yourself, you know. You've got to surrender. Just yield. Don't, don't get even. I hear angels. Yeah. I, I heard them in the first service, too. That's, that must mean something. <laughs> uh, verse number 18. I love, I've always loved this verse. I always love it. It's like custom made for me, I think. If it's possible, depending on as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with all men. I always loved that verse. And it tells me that, you know, i got to take care of myself. Everyone's got to take care of themselves. But sometimes, what this is saying is, sometimes the other person or the other people or whatever, they have their issues. But as far as you're concerned, in the body of Christ, you know, live at peace with everyone. As much as you can, give it to God. Verse number 19. I love when... when, uh, when either Paul or John says, beloved. And we're talking about agape. So those, those whom I love, you're, you're my beloved. Uh, but verse 19, vengeance isn't yours. That's not your job. I love you. I'm telling you the truth. In the setting of the church, there will be times, in my vernacular, you're going to want to take somebody's head off. But you can't do that. Don't avenge yourself. That's God's business. That's God's role. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So to get to that place where you can step away and say, okay, God, you do it. I'm not saying that's easy. It's a, it's a goal to get to. But see, when we do that, what happens? Our flesh dies, which is the point. Our spirit rises up and we let God handle that. That's what he wants. And then uh, verse 20, you know, he's quoting uh, from the Old Testament here. He's quoting from uh, Deuteronomy or Proverbs. Proverbs. (laughs) Um, uh, Just to paraphrase, he says, when someone's mean to you, when your enemy, he says your enemy, your nemesis, the the problem person in your life, when they're mean to you, he, he tells us to do something totally contrary to our flesh. But we're talking about agape, right? Be kind to them. Be considerate to them. And, and, and if they're hungry, you give them food. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. In other words, be kind. Be gracious. Because in doing that, your nemesis is now, he's got coals of fire on his head. You know what that means? It's like he's burning up, saying, "Ah, I can't take the kindness anymore. And he melts, hopefully. And he realizes that he's not in the right place. But the kindness and the agape will bring that person to that place. And then verse 21, it says, uh, Do not be overcome with evil. Because reading between the lines, you could be overcome with evil. I mean, we've seen it. I've seen it among Christians. Get so involved with something, get so angry or whatever. Yeah, and and they, they get overwhelmed with it. But don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a challenge, but see, in the church setting, there's going to be issues. And someone's got to take the high road. Someone's got to be better, be stronger, be more positive. Let good win out. Let the good win. And, and so in, in the process of that, you know, th- there's growth and maturity. And there's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a better sense of God in the midst of God's people. Otherwise, we're like, a, like the proverbial social club. Where if someone gets mad, they just have a free-for-all and someone leaves and they never speak for the rest of their lives. That's not God's way to do things. So last week we talked about how when agape is flowing through the church, many good things happen. We talked about three, just real quickly. We talked about how a hardened heart is softened. The, the, the story was Stephen, who was martyred, and Paul, who was consenting to his death, observed that whole scenario. But that Stephen's love for God and love for the people of God softened Paul's heart. It reminded me of a, a thing uh, in our home church in Connecticut many, many years ago. Uh, there was a couple, and this couple, they were married, and the woman gave her heart to the Lord, and she started coming to the church. And uh, she loved the church and she loved the Lord. And her husband was a Jewish man. And uh, he never came to church. But she got friendly with everybody and people started going to their home. And she started to entertain people. And the husband was observing the whole thing. And he was taken by the agape among the Christian people. After about a year of that, he said to his wife, Well, I think I'm going to go to church today. And he came to church. And he came to the church for probably... I'd say eight or nine months just coming to church as a Jewish person. His wife was a Christian, and he was experiencing the agape within the body of Christ. And after eight or nine months or whatever, when the altar call went out, he raised his hand and came up for salvation. How does that, how, how does a heart change when they experience the agape of God among his people? And we talked about how when agape is flowing through a church, there's um, lifestyles changed, changed. We talked about First Corinthians 6, the sexual immorality, the illegal activities, uh, the drunkenness, the, the revelry, all the stuff that was going on. Uh, but such were some of you. You were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified by Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that church in Corinth was filled with people like that. And they became a magnet to other people like that that needed deliverance and healing. And so the agape working in that attracted people to come to get saved. Then we talked about how uh, the agape in a church setting uh, changes destinies. Uh, We talked about Peter and Cornelius from Acts 10. We talked about my destiny, your destiny. Our destinies are different because the agape of God has been shown to us and we realize there's a better way to live life. And our destiny should be changed, actually. It, it must be changed than how we were before. So today, I want to I talk about something. Um, I want to take another look at this agape. How this agape, the unconditional and uh, immeasurable and faithful love of God to his people and through his people within a church setting. All right? So a couple of things to think about. We should know that 1 John 4.8 says that God is love. It says it flat out. God is love. But there's another characteristic of the Lord that we need to focus on. I think I ended last week by saying uh, the love of God is not always mushy. Something to that effect. It's not always, like, he's just. He's loving, he is love, but he's just. Deuteronomy 32, to paraphrase, says that God is just. Let me read you the whole scripture. I proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for His ways are just. A God of truth and justice, righteous and upright is He. He's a God of love, but He's a God of of justice. And so, how does that play out? This is why... The cross is so central to our faith. Because we've been made right, not by our righteous acts. But Jesus, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He paid the price, that we could be forgiven and cleansed. So now we have God is love and God is just. How does that work? It works because Jesus came, and when we put our faith and trust in Him... Both sides are satisfied. We receive His love, we receive His justice, It's paid at the cross. and it's wonderful. That's Christianity. Now let, let me go a little bit deeper here. We could say, "God is love by looking at the scripture. Let's say, for example, uh, Romans 3:23. most of us know that. Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that. His his love is the next verse, uh, Romans 3, 24. Yet we are justified freely by His grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So all have sinned and fall short, but we're justified and redeemed by His blood. It's wonderful. It's love. But that's not the end of the story. Because, for instance, Revelation 21, 8 says, This is how God is just. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You die physically, then you die spiritually in that sense. That's his justice. That's the way God is. God offers love to the sinner. He loves the sinner. He can't tolerate the sin. He reserves judgment for those that reject the plan of salvation. He cannot and will not tolerate sin. That's why Jesus came. But my issue is, I know all that. My issue is, how do we handle sin in the church? Among the redeemed of the Lord. This is a challenge. Thankfully, the Lord gives us some direction on it. Being a pastor for many years, I, I need all the help I could get. So I go to the book to find out my, my guidance that I need. But um, so, so John 13, God is love. Romans 12, again. Trouble is inevitable. And God is just. How do we deal with that in a church setting? So this is where I wanted to go into this last week, but didn't have time to do it. So I'm going to give you three examples right now how how agape conflict works within a church are you ready for this are you ready yes. come on somebody give me a little something all right take your bible and turn with me to 1 corinthians chapter 5 or your bible app or whatever you have you know in the old days everyone had their bible and you hear the pages now you hear little Anyway, 1 Corinthians 5, great passage of scripture, some of you may know it. The issue is sexual sin in the church. Now this is a a unique problem, but we could learn some things from it. Here's the story, if you want to follow along, uh, starting at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 1. I'll paraphrase a little bit, but Paul found out and sooner or later, the pastors find out. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know who told them. As, as actually reported. So he found out. He might have been the last to know, but he found out. That there's sexual immorality among you. And it's so bad that even the unsaved Gentiles don't do this. Because a man in the church is having an affair with his father's wife, which would be his stepmother. Now, if that weren't bad enough, I mean, that's one thing. But the other issue is, verse number two, you're puffed up about it. You're not not weeping over this. You're kind of arrogant about it. Like you're above, oh, there's a problem, but uh, God understands or whatever. You weren't dealing with it. And he says, you're puffed up. You should be crying uh, that that the one who did this might be taken away from among you. You You should be concerned about the situation. In verse number three, Paul says... I'm I'm not there with you. I'm writing to you. I'm absent in body. I'm present with you in spirit. I've already judged this person as though I were present uh, that he has done this deed. In other words, Paul's saying this guy's guilty. Whatever he knew, he believed, and he's saying this guy is guilty. You're not dealing with now. We have two problems: the sin in the church, and you're not dealing with it. So, in the back of my mind, I'm saying, "Where's the agape?" So so some people might say, well, just sweep it under the carpet. That's agape. No, that's not agape. The way Paul deals with this is the agape, believe it or not. So he says in verse number four, he says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit. In other words, when you meet together to talk about this, and you better meet together to talk about it, uh, with my spirit, with you, my attitude, my input, my, you know, and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, when you get all together to talk about it, verse number five just blows me out of the water. I'm thinking restoration, have him over for dinner, you know, whatever. He says, no, look, when you all get together and you talk with my spirit and the spirit of the Lord there, this is what you have to do. Deliver this guy over to Satan. That's a heavy thing to say. But I think that needs to be explained a little bit. Because well, I had this discussion between services, as a matter of fact. What does that mean, to deliver him over to Satan? What it means is to let him go. I mean, if he's not walking in the Spirit, he's walking in his flesh, he's open to the, to the realm of Satan, where we all were before, when you think of it. So Paul saying, get him out of the church, because we have to protect the church. We want to, we want to deal with him and protect the, the integrity of the church. Um, so deliver him over to Satan, so that his flesh would be destroyed. In other words, let him go get all messed up. Let him do what he wants to do. and Let him get it out of his system. His life will be ruined maybe, but it will destroy his flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning, let him get so messed up that he comes back to get right with God. And you would say, where's the agape? That is the agape. That's what you call tough agape or tough love. Verse number 6 says, You're glorying in this is not good. You're you're proud. You're like, you know, you're not concerned about this. You're glorying in this great offense against God and against the church. You're glorying in what's going on. When Jesus shed his blood to to forgive and, and cleanse all that, you're living in it. He says, don't you know that a little leaven spoils the whole lump? So now it goes from dealing with the one person to the whole church. The one sin was affecting everything. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. Get it out. Cut it out. That you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So Christ did you know, give us that cleansing that we needed, but it's gotten polluted. So cut it out and straighten it out. And to do that is, is a tough love um so release that person let him go turn him over now let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 because we have some information in the second epistle referring to this situation hallelujah so in 2 Corinthians 2 now this is Paul's second letter to the same people he's referring to a couple of things that he talked about before but in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4 he says, out of much, well, verse 3 says, I, I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I, I should have sorrow. But verse number 4, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you. So he's saying, look, what I wrote to you before, I was afflicted. I was, I was really concerned about this situation. Uh, but not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. He's saying, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to grieve you. I was writing to you because I love you. I want what's best for you. But if anyone, verse number five, if anyone has caused grief, like that person, he's, he hasn't grieved me. But all of you to some extent. He's, you, you, he's grieved you. But now, now listen to what Paul says. Don't be too severe with this one. Wow. Verse number six. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, remember they had the meeting? Well, they, they did what he said, they kicked him out. So, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient. It's good. So, that now, on the contrary, you ought to now forgive the guy and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one would be swallowed up with too much sorrow. You see the balance of the agape? Deal with it, kick him out, you know. But when he's ready to come back, he's saying, saying to him, enough is enough. Welcome him back now. If you you add more sorrow to this guy, you're going to kill him. Love him back. Nurture him back. In verse number 8, don't you love this? I urge you, reaffirm your agape to him. That guy? Yeah, that guy. That guy we kicked out? Yeah, that guy. Love that guy back to health and love him back to the body of Christ. What a great story. What a wonderful agape in conflict. Because if you don't know the rest of the story, you wonder, where's the agape? Here it is. Deal with it, discipline, purify the church, get it it right, and always have an eye out for that one coming back. Verses 9 and 10, I think. I want to read them just because it's so good. For to this end, I also wrote. So I, I wrote to you to deal with this guy, but I also wrote to you to test you, to see if you would obey what I was telling you to do. Right? I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I've forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one. For your sakes, in the presence of Christ. But verse number 11. Otherwise, Satan would take advantage of us. We're not ignorant of his devices. He would love to cause permanent damage. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Get this together. Don't go too far with this. Let forgiveness reign, and let this guy come back. Otherwise, Satan's going to have a field day with that problem. So praise the Lord. Agape in conflict. I have a couple of words. They all start with R. I'll have them on the the screen later. Rebuke, release, that one. Repent, restore, and rejoice. That seems to be the biblical way when there's agape in conflict working in the church. You, You rebuke the sin... You release that one if they don't repent right away. You know, if someone's so adamant and rebellious, let them go. But then they come to a place of repent. So re- rebuke, release, repent, restore, and then rejoice together. Hallelujah. So let me give you another example in the Word of God. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. These are great, great examples. And this is a story of Alexander the coppersmith. If you don't know Alexander the coppersmith, I'm going to introduce you to him. He's mentioned a few times, and I think in Acts, he's one of the coppersmiths at the Ephesus church. He's in 1 Timothy 1, which we'll turn to in a minute. But in 2 Timothy 4, Paul's writing to Timothy, giving him little tidbits of information. He's naming a few people. If you look at verse, verse 10, Demas is mentioned Uh, Christians, Titus, Luke, uh, John Mark is mentioned, Tychicus, um, and so on. But then verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith. Alexander the coppersmith, he did me much harm. And Paul didn't say, I'm going to wring his neck. He didn't say that. He's practicing what he preached to the Romans. He said, the Lord's going to deal with him. You know? So Paul's, you know, good that way. But Alexander the but he did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. In verse number 15, you, Timothy, you have to beware of him. For he has greatly resisted our words. So where's the agape? The agape is all over this, but you have to think about it. The agape is going towards Timothy to caution him and and the the tough love is with with Alexander but let's go over to chapter uh, 1 Timothy 1 1 Timothy 1 verses 19 and 20 there's a little bo- bit more insight into, into Alexander so what do you do with someone in the church that that causes you harm and then you then the other thing is you think about Jesus said love you know let this let there be love within the church that's why Paul's Teaching in Romans is so important. Paul's teaching is like the, uh, the, the reality of how you do that. Jesus gave this thing, uh, love, in the, yeah. But in, in real life, there will be people coming into the church that are filled with ego and, problem, and sin and, and rebellion. And, and all of us were, let's face it. When we all first started coming to a, a church... We weren't right. I wasn't right. I mean, I I accepted the Lord. Then I went to church. I didn't get saved in a church. I got saved in my friend's trailer. But I went to church, you know, eventually. And so I was saved. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, there were a lot of things that had to be done. So, yeah, I could see where in, in any type of a church situation, the body of Christ is a work in motion. It's a work in progress. And so there will be issues and how we deal with them is very important. But anyway, Paul felt, to, felt compelled to tell Timothy, "Alexander is bad news. Stay away from him." So his agape is directed towards Timothy in the church, but in chapter uh, one, Timothy one sorry um, verse 18, okay? this charge, this command I, I give to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Remember, that they laid hands on Timothy, um, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Timothy, you've got to wage the good warfare. And, and in, the, in the good warfare, guess what? There will be times of very difficult decisions. Like Paul said, release that one over to Satan. Paul said, you stay away from Alexander. That's a tough call. But that's part of the warfare that we're engaged in. He, he tells Timothy, you are waging the good warfare. So then he says this, verse 19. Having, uh, some having faith in a good conscience, some having rejected the faith, concerning, concerning the faith, they've suffered shipwreck. So we are involved in the body of Christ. Guess what? You're involved with all sorts of people in different places, different uh, spiritual positions. Some are going forward. Some have a good faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected the faith, but they're hanging around and, and they're shipwrecked, and you have to deal with that. But listen to verse 20. Of whom are, he names two people. Talk about calling people out Hermeneus and Alexander, you know, whom I delivered to Satan. Here we go again. I got these guys, I delivered them to Satan. I got them out of the way because they were causing havoc in the church. Their faith was shipwrecked, had bad doctrine, and they were bad apples. So I delivered them to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Again, it's a teaching element. Let them go. Let them do their thing or whatever. Hopefully, prayerfully, they'll get to a place where they realize they blew it and they'll come back and repent and make things right. Now, the thing is with this story... We don't know what happened. We don't know how the story ends. I I am always optimistic that when we get to heaven, maybe we'll see Alexander. Maybe he'll have a story to share, that he got it right after all that. We don't know. But the point is, Paul was expressing agape in the middle of conflict. It's a tough call to make. Very tough call to make. So again, there may be people coming into any church. In fact... I mean, we've been here 13 years. We've seen great moves of God in this sanctuary. Oh, my goodness. We've seen tough guys, gang members. We've seen it all. We've seen it all. Um, That's how it should be. There should be that element to a church where people are coming in. Who knows where they've been or what they've been through? Who cares? Who cares? But they come to Christ and they surrender and they're on their way as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, in the process of that, of teaching, of counseling and, and guiding and picking up the pieces and so forth, sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes there's tough calls that have to be made. And sometimes the person's not ready for it. So they leave or whatever. Hopefully they, they come back. Well, let me give you one more example of this, of this principle. Agape in conflict. Acts chapter 18. Can we go there? Acts chapter 18. Uh, Some of you um, old-timers like myself, you probably remember the day when the pastor would turn to five different passages of Scripture and get into it. Uh, Culturally now, we don't do so much of that, but I like doing it myself. So Acts 18, we have a great little story here. That kind of shows what we're talking about, agape in conflict. So Acts 18, verse number four, Paul here, he, he's reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. He's persuading both Jews and Greeks about the scriptures, about Jesus, etc. And, and verse number five just needs a little comment. I just want to comment here. He's doing what he does. Paul, you know, he's teaching. He's faithful. But when the reinforcements come, when Silas and Timothy come. He doesn't say anything other than when they came, he felt compelled by the Spirit uh, and testified to the Jews. Like specifically, he honed in on the Jews. I just want to say that sometimes when, when the reinforcements come, when the support comes, when you know somebody's in your corner, you get emboldened because you know you have someone with you. That is so important in this warfare that we're waging. You know what I mean. If you're all alone, you do what you do, and you, you do well. But when you have a confidant that's with you, praying for you, encouraging you in the things that you have to do, you feel emboldened. And in that setting, Paul sensed the spirit of God saying, "You know what? You're doing good with the Jews and the Greeks. Now just focus on the Jews. They need to know about Jesus." So he does it. He does it. Verse number five. Verse number six. They opposed him. Uh, not only did they oppose him; they blasphemed Paul. Probably called him names and, 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 and were derogatory towards Paul. And Paul responds to that. Now you have to ask, where's the love in verse number 6? He says, he shook his garments. You know, it's, just, it's a phrase. Like, you know. And uh, he said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. You Jews. I'm clean from now on. I'm going to the Gentiles. And you have to say, where's the love in that, right? Where's the agape? But sometimes agape is not mushy-mushy. He did it for, you know, Jesus said a couple of times. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. He said, if they don't receive what you have to say, shake the dust off your feet and walk away. They're not ready yet. Maybe your, your role is to plant a seed. You're, you're not watering, you're not reaping, definitely. You said what you said, all right, let it go, that's it. Paul, you know, Paul planted seeds. They weren't ready to go any farther. He says, your blood be upon your own heads. I'm out of here. I'm clean. From now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Powerful verse. But the rest of that story is just intriguing to me. Verse number 7 just jumps out at me. He says he he departed from there, from the synagogue. He left the synagogue, right? Um, And he goes to the home of a certain man named Justice One who worshiped God. So he he aligns himself with another Christian person, and he's there. But the end of verse 7, does it make you laugh a little bit? Where he went was right next door to the synagogue that he said he was done with forever and ever. I I love it. He left it, but he had one eye looking back saying, I wonder what they're going to do. Because his burden was for the Jews. His burden was for the Jews, always. The Jew first and the Gentile. So he, he moves, I'm done with you, and he moves right next door. Sets up shop. And I don't know what happened, but the next verse says, Then the ruler of the synagogue, of said synagogue, Crispus, hears the gospel, and he believes in the Lord. And his household believes in the Lord. And, verse, and that verse, many of the Corinthians, hearing this, they believed and they were baptized. So the point is, yeah, agape is tough sometimes, but there's always got to be an open door for there to be resolution in this. You know, always like, a, uh, you know, just one more glance back, maybe they're ready now or whatever. And, and so our role is to always be ready for that opportunity. We can't hang on to the offense. Uh, Paul could say, you know, he could have said, I'm not speaking to Crispus. His people just threw me out of the synagogue, for goodness sakes. I'm clean, I don't want those people. He didn't do that. He probably practiced what he said in Romans 12. That's not my battle, it's the Lord's battle. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not not Paul's. Vengeance is the Lord's. So he stayed, he did what he did, and the ruler of the synagogue and his household come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, now perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps that ruler of the synagogue made more inroads into the rest of the Jewish people that were there because he was the ruler of the whole thing. Maybe he had a different way or maybe he had a different relationship. Who knows? All we know is that he got saved. Paul never gave up. And when he closed the door on the Jews, he only went next door. And he continued to preach and to teach. So, in conclusion... Agape—it's kind of like salvation in a way, like like we know we're saved. We got saved, we're being saved, right? We're in the process of being saved every day, and we will be saved when the wrath when the the wrath of God comes. So we we are saved, we're still being saved today, and we will will be saved. So agape is similar in, in, in that. His love has saved us, absolutely. But his love is working through us all the time. Our role, our our responsibility is to to have an agape for others the way that Jesus has an agape for others. I mean, I could talk about my own life. Here's how agape worked in my life. Most of you know our story a little bit. We were in our mid-20s. We accepted the Lord uh, Pamela, you had an experience before that when you accepted the Lord. But I, I did too. When I was 20, I accepted the Lord. When I was 22, I accepted the Lord. When I was 25 or whatever, I accepted the Lord. And then when I was 26 with Pamela, I really accepted the Lord. But the agape of God was all over me. But I was not living right. And guess what happened? My life got worse and worse and worse. Even though, the, I know, looking back, I know the agape was on me. But because of my hard headedness and lack of surrender, I mean, I said the sinner's prayer at age 20. But I didn't live for God. You know, He let me go. He let me get worse. He turned me over to Satan in a sense, in a very real sense. My life went from bad to worse, from bad to worse. It was ridiculous. By the time I got saved, I was so ready to get saved. But all that had to happen so that I could get ready. So looking back on it, I know his agape was working on me for four or five years before. And that's the way God is. He loves us enough to bring us in and to deal with our stuff. Oh, do I have a lot of stuff. Still have a lot of stuff. And God is still dealing with all of us. No, he's not done with us. That's what I mean. We're saved, we're being saved, and we will be. We, we got the agape. We still got the agape. Absolutely. We got a, when we walked out of bed this morning, there was mercy for us. That's a form of the agape, of the love of God. That's what the scripture says. His mercy is new every single morning. Why? Because we're so <laughs> fleshly. We need his mercy every single morning. And the agape is there all the time for us. You just have to flow with it, live with it, deal with it, and I'll tell you what: if we deal with it in ourselves, it's so much easier to deal with it with other people. I think I told you this story one time. There was, then we're going to get ready for communion. But there was a, in our home church, we had a prison ministry. And uh, of all the people to raise their hand, saying they would go to the prison ministry, it was me and this other guy. And I said, Lord, of all people, I can't stand this guy. <laughs> Couldn't someone else go with me to the prison? This guy drives me crazy. I, wasn't, I was a member. I wasn't in the ministry yet. And, and I realized the Lord put that guy in my life to teach me some lessons. He turned out to be a really good prison worker. But but see, I needed him in my life to kind of confront me on some things and vice versa. And through that relationship, we we got better, and we we served the prison. Sometimes God puts people in our path that challenge us. We think we have all the right answers, and guess what? They have the right answer, and we're wrong. But that's agape letting that happen. You see, that's, that's how it works. So it takes a lot of humility to accept all that. Anyway, uh, we're going to prepare for communion. Uh, that's the, the end of the series on agape. I think. I think that's it. Um, every head bowed for just a moment as we prepare our hearts. Um, is there anyone here that feels like you know? I need that agape from God because I don't. I don't have it in my heart to give to people. I. I I'm angry or I'm mean and. No, I shouldn't, but I can't help it. I just wonder if there's anyone here that feels like I need that agape from God to fill to fill my tank. My tank is empty. I need to be filled up with the love of God so that the love of God could be poured out from me. Anyone like that? Anyone like that besides me? Both of my hands are up. Lord, fill me up. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up, Lord. I wonder if there's anyone here, um, just one more time, that you come to a place in your life where you're ready to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You may know all about him. You may celebrate Christmas and Easter, but you never really invited him into your heart to be your personal Lord, or maybe a renewal of that relationship. Anyone at all, besides one? I want Jesus in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Okay, thank you back there. Thank you. Dear Lord God, Lord, we just come before you now and, I thank you for your word. Your word is so good and it's so healthy for us. It's so real. And Lord, you hit us right where we are today. I know that you did. But Lord, with these couple of people that raised their hands today, Lord, to receive you or to renew their relationship with you, Lord, we all in one accord say, oh God, I need you today. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not right. And I, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you're loving and you're just. And you paid the penalty of my sin on the cross. And I want to receive that. I want to renew that right now. And so, Lord, we all renew that relationship with you right now and invite you to be the king of our lives and the Lord of our lives. Lord, and please, Lord, don't stop dealing with us. Continue to clean us up. and and to purify your church because we know you're coming soon and you're coming for a pure and holy bride. Let the bride, let the, the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ be ready when you come back. Lord, for these next few moments, we invite your Holy Spirit to search our hearts to get ready for communion in Jesus' name. We have a video right now.
2: I break the bread and drink the
1: up with me. Do you feel God calling you? He really wants the fellowship, you know. Have this Drink with me. Have this cup with me. Drink the, eat the bread with me. He wants fellowship. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears me and opens up the, their heart, I'll come in and dine with them. He, he's knocking on the door. And so we partake of communion uh, as, as a, an act of obedience, actually. Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. Paul said, do it until Jesus comes back. But we do it um, to demonstrate our fellowship with Christ. So there may be some here today, maybe this is your first time having communion as a as a born again, really believer in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. That's good. But at that last supper, Jesus took bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat as often as you do. Do it in remembrance of me. So does everyone have your elements ready? Those of you at home, do you, I hope that you have a piece of bread or a cracker or something. i sorry I didn't mention it earlier to get yourself ready, but hopefully you're ready. But uh, get your bread, get your cracker, and let's pray over the broken body of Christ, okay? Father, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Your agape and your justice revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who came out of love and obedience and came to take our sin away. So all the pain inflicted on you, on your body, on that fateful day, the the uh, the piercing, the the punches, the whipping, the nails, the spear, the crown of thorns—all of it was meant for us to satisfy the sinfulness that we all have. But you took it on yourself. Whoa, hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for your broken body. And we remember that today, that you, you allowed your body to take all the abuse that we deserve and thus love and justice were reconciled. Thank you, Lord. And Father, as we partake of this, this host or this bread today, we're reminded that your word says that there's, there's power in this. There's healing in this. There's renewal in this relationship that we have with you. So, Lord, as we partake of the body and the elements, we pray that your healing power will come upon us. Your cleansing power will come upon us. Your direction will come upon us. In other words, Lord, as we're closer to you, let us us know your heart more for our lives. But Lord, thank you for your broken body. We thank you for this bread now in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread together. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, take this cup and drink from it. This is the cup of the new covenant in which there is remission of sins. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for um, the instructions that Jesus gave to his church to do this, to remember You satisfied love and justice at the cross. You gave your body and your blood to reconcile sinful people. Thank you, Lord, for Paul's word in 1 Corinthians 11, where he instructs the church to do this until you come back again. So, Lord, we know there's a promise in this that this is temporary. This is what we do in the meantime. One day, you're going to burst on the scene once again. We call it the second coming, then the rapture of the saints. And then we'll sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb and not just have a little bit of an element here and there, but we'll have a feast with you in all of its richness and fullness. But Lord, in the meantime, we do this to remember all that you've done for us. So Lord, thank you for your shed blood. Your word says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There's power in the blood. There's healing in the blood. There's deliverance in the blood. There's, there's victory over demonic forces through the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, we're renewing all of that today in our lives. We come under your authority, Lord. We come under your covering, as we heard earlier. We come under this covering of the blood of Jesus, where there's safety and peace. So thank you, Lord, for shedding your blood, that we might be set free. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Can we stand together? Get past those things to the end of the aisle, and someone will pick them up. Good to have some children here in the church today. God bless you kids. So good to have you. Can we let them know we appreciate the kids being here today? Come on. Thank you, kids. Thank you, families that brought them. Hallelujah. Um, Let's pray one more prayer. Can we do that? Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful service today. And thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord. We have someone to sing about. We have something to sing about, too. But we give you praise and we give you thanks. And uh, Lord, your word tells us in Philippians 1 6 that you who started a good work in us, you're faithful to complete that work. Lord God, help us to stay on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the what, what do we call it? <laughs> on the easel, on the, on, the, on the burner, where you can continue the work that you started in us. Let us stay close to you, Lord, that you who started the work will finish the work until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, may your blessing be upon us as we go. Let us have a great day and bless our time of prayer tonight as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.